This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, anything and everything. If you call us, we'll do the best we can to answer. You can dial 340-9585. That's 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, where you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send them to us that way. And remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app, which is at the Call Now banner. At the top of the screen, everything else is hands-free, and you will be connected to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is 340-9585. Well, I don't have a lot to talk about as we get into the questions today, but I will say this. It is official. Our nation has officially gone crazy. I'm sure many of you have already seen it. The videos have gone viral. The opening prayer at the first session of Congress uh, yesterday, maybe it was the day before, but I think it was yesterday. No, yesterday. And um, uh, they had uh, a man who is a self-proclaimed um, ordained minister, uh, black gentleman, uh, and he was praying in the name of the almighty, all-powerful God who goes by many names. Whether a him or a her, he said, now, obviously, the big deal uh, in Congress this year is there's a whole new set of rules for gender-inclusive language. You can't say man, you can't say woman, husbands, wives. You just can't say those things, so you have to find different pronouns. And at the end of his prayer, he goes through this ridiculous prayer. And at the end of the prayer, he goes, In the name of the God, whoever he or she is, Amen. And then he said this, or a woman. Now, can you imagine that? Now, I'm 69 years old. You guys know I'm old. But I never dreamed that we would get to a place in our country where in Congress we'd have that kind of nonsense, that kind of political correctness, foolishness. But that's where we've devolved. That's what happens to a world without God. It's what happens to people when they try to walk, especially for many years without the Lord. But we have absolutely gone crazy. 
And what's funny about this really isn't funny because the man had no idea. He thought amen at the end of a prayer was a gender expression. We know it means so be it or or may it be so. But now it's amen and a women. Can you imagine how far we have devolved in our rebellion against God? And the people in the Congress didn't get it. Not until it was viral on the internet that people start criticizing it. That's exactly the kind of people that we've got representing us in this nation. We have lost our mind. We've lost our way. I'm not going to say anything more about it, but my goodness, if there's ever been a more blatant example of godlessness. I'm 69 years old. I haven't seen it. Well, let's go to our questions while we await your phone calls, and we hope you call. Freddie says, I heard a radio preacher say that the Antichrist will be gray. Where did he get that? Um, Freddie, that is not an unusual interpretation, so um, um, I, I don't necessarily agree that that's the case. But they get it from Daniel chapter 11, verse 37, where Daniel prophesies, he shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for uh, he shall exalt himself above them all. Now, the the desire of women, he won't. Uh, he shall regard neither the desire of women, is what leads some people to assume that the Antichrist will be a homosexual. Now, obviously, I don't think that's what it means. The desire of women in a Jewish construct, as Daniel would have understood it, was the desire of women to be the mother of the Messiah. It was a goal throughout Israel's history. The women wanted to bear children, specifically male children, in hopes that they could all be um, the mother, that somebody would be chosen the mother of the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And so that's where they get it. I think that's taking a little bit too much liberty with the Daniel passage, but that's where they get it, Freddie. It's not heresy, uh, and I hope the radio preacher, whoever he was, um, you know, made the statement that, well, well, there are some who think he might be gay. Uh, but, but to read into that that he is going to be a homosexual is, I think, a bit of an overreach. So, Freddie, thank you for the question. I appreciate you listening. Here's a question from Ryan. He said, Pastor Ron, will God leave us if we walk away from him? Um, you know, Ryan, God has promised never to leave or forsake any of those who are truly his. Now, the problem, of course, is that we have a lot of people who claim to be Christians, but who, in fact, don't really belong to Jesus. Um, and they walk away. Jesus was never with them. They get tired of, of doing the, the, the Christian exercises and, and they, they go on to the next thing. But that doesn't mean they ever really belong to the Lord. So the answer to your question is no. Um, you can walk away. You can backslide. Remember the prodigal son parable in Luke chapter 15. Uh, he's still a son of the father. The father is still scanning the horizon looking for his return. Uh, he's always family, and the same thing is true if we're really born again. Now, let me change the focus just a little bit, Ryan. Uh, one of the things that I think we as Christians need to learn from Jesus 
is that if people walk away from us as we share Christ with them, we need to let them go. We can't persuade. We can't convince. There's not going to be a right way or a wrong way to present the gospel. We've got to tell them the truth, and then it belongs to God. And the example is the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, in the gospel accounts, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and wants to know, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, keep the law. Oh, all these I've done, and you know the story. But at the end of it, it says, the rich young ruler walked away sad. Jesus told him, sell everything you have, get to the poor and follow me. And acknowledging already that Jesus was God, he knew who he was, he walked away sad from that encounter because he valued his wealth more than he valued his appointment with God. And he walked away. And Ryan, in direct response to your question, Jesus didn't go chase him. Jesus let him walk away. You know, the one thing that we never see, there's one example, I'll tell you about it in a moment, but there's only one example where Jesus went after somebody. The rest of the time, if they received the, the, the miracle that he wanted to do or if they were responsive to the messages that he was preaching, um, that was great. But if they walked away, Jesus let him go. There was one instance where um, the, the, we would say the church was exploding, but Jesus' followers were, were en- enough to cover the countryside. And Jesus knew that they were following him because of the miracles, and he gave the famous eat the blood of my, or the flesh of my flesh and drink the blood of my blood speech. And they knew that he was asking too much. They didn't want to make that kind of a sacrifice or commitment. Jesus was telling them, look, you owe everything to me. And they walked away. Peter said, Lord, they're all leaving. It's almost like Peter was saying, do something. Go get them back. And Jesus just looked at him and said, where are you two going to leave? And Peter's response, of course, is famous. Where else would we go, Lord? You alone have the words of eternal life. But Jesus never walked after them. Now, the one incident that I was sharing a moment ago where Jesus actually did go after somebody it was to warn him. It was the man who was paralyzed for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. The crowds were so intense at that particular time. Jesus healed him. He got up and walked. But the next day, he walked after him, found him, and told him, stop sinning, lest something worse happens to you. Can you imagine how terrifying that would be? In other words, it seems clear, the inference is that this man's uh, invalid condition was a result of sin. Um, sexually transmitted diseases were rampant in the ancient world, and and his being paralyzed was was probably connected to that. As soon as he could walk, he got up and started following his old ways. And Jesus made a point to go find him the next day and say, "Stop sinning, or something worse is going to happen." So, Ryan, I hope that answers your question. Uh, we need to let people go um, if they don't respond to our message. That's between them and the Lord at that point. We have done our job. Um, I always say when people stop listening, I stop talking. By the way, let me just share just a quick story today. 
um, I was at the gym, and, and we've talked about this, Paul and I, especially on the show. Uh, we're always looking for opportunities to share. And today I walked into the gym and locker room and um, getting ready for to shower and come over here to the office. The gym and the office are in the same parking lot. And um, I walked back, and there was this guy who was, was blasted with tats. I mean, he just was loaded with tattoos. And he looked younger than he turned out to be. He turned out to be 34 years old, but he looked younger to me and completely blasted with tats. And when I walked up to where he was, he was getting uh, ready to, to get in the shower, he, he said, uh, I thought under his breath he was saying, Jesus, Jesus. You know, I didn't know what he was saying, Jesus, like under his breath because he was frustrated or if maybe he was praying. You know, you'd look at the guy and you'd see him and you wouldn't automatically connect him with being a believer. Um, but then he turned around. He didn't have a shirt on. He turned around and he had a, a big cross with Jesus hanging on the cross on his back, a tattoo. And so I said, hey, I, I, I heard you calling for Jesus under your breath a minute ago. And now I see that tattoo. You must be a believer. And it gave me a wonderful opportunity to open a conversation with him. This guy's been saved for 15 months. He was so excited about it. He was actually listening to the Bible on his phone really, really loud the whole time he was there getting dressed and showered. It was really loud. And it was the book of Revelation that was being read to him on the sort of the dramatized audio version of the Bible. And we had the greatest talk. He actually recognized my voice after a while. He'd been listening to our radio programs. And um, uh, it did just really a great thing. He, he asked me, he said, so this is a divine encounter. You, do you have a word for me? And I said, just be with Jesus. So you see, I tell other people the same thing that I tell you and the same thing that I tell the church all the time. But his name is Lee, so you can pray for Lee. Uh, just really excited about his relationship with the Lord. And, and I'm excited to see what God is going to do with him. Here is a question from Jenny. Jimmy, Jenny says, I'm proud of my life, and I want my kids to be proud as they grow up. Why does the Bible speak so harshly about pride? Jenny, there's two kinds of pride. Godly pride, and then the bigger kind, ungodly pride. Pride, as you know, no doubt, is sort of the sin, the foundation sin behind all other sins. It's a sin that caused Lucifer to turn into Satan, the devil. Um, I will cast my throne above the Most High. He wanted to be God. He didn't want to worship God. He wanted to be God. And in the process, um, his pride just sort of grew out of control. And, and that's why pride is such a common theme in the Bible. Now, Godly pride is, is when you can be proud of your accomplishments, but not in a boastful way. You know, Jenny, I think that we have raised our kids uh, with such an emphasis on self-esteem that it's really difficult when um, these kids growing up hear something in the Bible or read something in the Bible like, uh, there is nothing good in me, not, not anything. There's no one good, no one righteous, not even one. Uh, we all sin continually and are continually falling short of the glory of God. And I think that that sort of damages the self-esteem that we've been so careful to build. And the one thing that we don't need, Jenny, is self-esteem. We need to know who we are in Christ. We need to know who we are because of Christ. 
And if we'll understand that, then there's no place for self-esteem because all of our esteem is Jesus' esteem. Another thing this Lee said to me, uh, um, he, he was saying, you know, I don't know if I'm called, what I'm called to do, if I'm called to be a pastor or what, but I know I'm called to share the gospel. And I said, that's great. And then he just said, he said, you know, it's like the, the, the pearl and, and that, that Gentile who went out to, to, to sell his, uh, his uh, uh, or to give his money so he could buy a pearl. So uh, everybody out there is pearls. And I said, let me tell you something, Lee, about that parable. It's Matthew 13. And it's the pearl of great price isn't the people. You know, we, we're not throwing our pearls. The pearl of great price. We're the pearl of great price. Lee, you are and I am. And we're so valuable that, that God sold everything he had in order to buy us. And he looked at me with this big smile on his face and said, that's even better. Well, that's the kind of esteem that we need. So there's nothing wrong with saying I'm proud of my, my sons. I've got two sons, grown men now, and I love them and I'm proud of them. Um, um, but, but the problem is when they get proud. You see, a proud person doesn't think they need help from God. And we need to understand that. So we're not, I'm not suggesting you need to raise your kids to loathe themselves or, or to be downers, you know. But, but we need to understand that the only thing that we really have to be proud of is what Christ has done in us and for us and what he will do through us. But that's why the Bible speaks harshly about pride, because pride is an absolute killer. So, Jenny, I hope that makes sense to you. You know, um, uh, we live in a, a group of adults now who are raised with, uh, part, I call them the participation trophy generation. And um, what we've got to do is we've got to realize that that uh, the world doesn't really care about us. So we've got to find our value in Christ and Christ alone. Great question. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from Michael. He says, I feel guilty for not sharing Jesus more at work, but they say I can't do it. What should I do? Uh, Michael, I'm really going to challenge you because what you got to do is you got to share Jesus. Remember in the book of Acts when Peter and the others were thrown in jail and beaten because they wouldn't stop preaching the name and the authorities came to him and said, you know, we'll let you go, but you must stop preaching this name. And then what you, you uh, what Peter responded was, well, you judge for yourself. Should we obey you or God? In other words, God tells us we have to share this name of Jesus and you're telling me I can't? And his response was, as for me, I will not, I cannot stop declaring this name. So that's what we need to do. Now, let me give you some parameters, Michael, because uh, I understand at work, people are paying you to do work and we need to be serious about the work that we're doing. So when you are working, when you're on the clock, then you shouldn't share Jesus. Somebody wants to ask you, say, hey, how about we talk about this at lunch? Or how about we talk about this uh, tomorrow morning before work or, or right after work tonight? But when you're there to work, you're getting paid to do work, and so you do it, and you work as unto the Lord. 
But nobody can make you stop telling people about Jesus on your dime, your time. So it's really important to remember, and I think you just have to do it. And you know what? Jesus said, this is a hard one, Michael. Jesus said, bless, that word in the Sermon on the Mount, um, um, means happy are you. Whenever you see it used in this sense, it's happy. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. He didn't say you'd feel blessed. You'd feel happy. He just said that you would be blessed. You would be happy. Why? Because that's what happens when we obey the Lord. So, um, you know, you may lose a job. Do you not think Jesus will stand for you, stand with you, because you stood for him? I think we've got to stop being intimidated in this culture that we live in. Uh, you know, they can talk about all their sin. They can talk about, they can force you at workplaces to go to sensitivity training seminars and and um, um, my goodness, they're not at all shy about foisting their values on you. Why should we retreat? When they say, I can't talk about Jesus, I say, well, I can't be awake without talking about Jesus. And Michael, that's what we need to do. So don't feel guilty, just change. Remember, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you've got to take that first step of faith so the power of the Holy Spirit can then come upon you and you'll be doing the work. I don't care whether you're in the military, in private enterprise, our job, Christians, and we've got orders that come from a higher authority than anybody where you work. Our orders are to declare the truth, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we do it every opportunity that we can. Michael, good question. We've had a lot of people, especially a lot of our military people now, who have gotten themselves in trouble for sharing Jesus and they've been ordered not to. And um, so I'm getting a little bit of trouble. But the truth of the matter is uh, they don't care. Here is maybe the strangest question I've had in all these years. Andrew, do you believe Chuck Smith was a prophet of God? <laughs> Uh, Chuck Smith was my pastor, Andrew. Um, you know, he was a, he's a pastor to, I don't know, 2,200 Calvary chapels across the, the, the world. Um, but no, he was not a prophet. Um, Chuck, in fact, ventured into some areas where he made some statements that were wrong, but never passing himself off as a prophet. Chuck would have taught, as, as I teach, that prophets, there are no prophets today. Ephesians chapter 2 makes that really, really clear. Um, but Chuck was not a prophet. Now, as I say that, many, many times, with me in the room, Pastor Chuck exercised the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is a gift that is for today, but that does not make one a prophet. It's not, thus saith the Lord, and you're predicting future events. It's just declaring forth the word of God. And and uh, I, I watched Chuck many, many times um, declare the word of God, and you knew God was speaking to your heart. But if Pastor Chuck were still alive, and he's with Jesus now, at a question like this, um, he would 
be beside himself. No, no. He had this rich, deep, veritone voice, this great little laugh. <laughs> no, no, no. I am not a prophet. Oh, no, no, is what he would say. So uh, he was not a prophet of God. Uh, he was actually guilty one time of saying he really believed that Jesus was coming back um, in 1988, I think it was. And, and of course, um, that didn't happen. And uh, so people, oh, he's a false prophet. No, he just said, I wouldn't be surprised if um, he never passed himself off as a prophet, nor was he trying to uh, make anybody believe that he was anything, anything other than a Bible teacher. And he really was a great Bible teacher. Lots and lots of fruit that came from Chuck. Chuck was sort of at the vanguard of the last move of God's Spirit, the last great revival in the history of the world of the world that we live in. So was good guy, good Bible teacher. Chuck had the gift of simplicity. Uh, he could make a very um, difficult topic or subject um, really easy to understand. And he just loved the Word of God. He taught the Word of God over and over and over, taught through the Bible. Um, I don't know how many times in his 50 years walking with the Lord. So, Andrew, I hope that helps you. Okay, there's the music. We've got 30 minutes left. The phones are quiet. If you've got questions, please call 340-9585. We've got somebody holding. We'll get to you on the first call after the break. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Let's go to line one and talk with Ray from San Antonio. Ray, thank you for being patient. You're on the air. Thank you, Pastor Ron, for taking my call and being there for us all. Oh, my pleasure. Happy New Year. You too. Um, When you were talking about the uh, person that didn't know what to do about he couldn't share Jesus at work, and then you (laughs) somehow slipped into uh, what got me on this, question of of the military, and uh, I I found it, while I was on hold, I thought about it, and I went, well, isn't it kind of apropos funny strange that it's called the chain of command (laughs) in the armed forces, and uh, there was a a person that uh, you had brought to our attention. He, I think he had got a, a I think he had been uh, uh, in our church and uh, got moved somewhere else. And I I don't remember exactly if he was a colonel and the general above him was uh, 
giving him problems, and uh, we know what it was revolved around. But I don't know what ever happened. What was the ever, the outcome? If he got court martialed or what? And I don't know if you would remember. It was several years ago. Yeah, yeah, I remember. In fact, uh, uh, he's the man. His family they remain friends, so we have been in touch over the years, uh, not on a regular basis, but but we've been in touch over the years. Um, he was a uh, uh, just an airman when we got here. He, he was actually Ray, the very first convert. Um, he was a, 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 a born Catholic, a Notre Dame first chair trumpet, marching band Catholic. Um, and he was the first convert uh, that we, we had in our church all those years, 25 years ago. Uh, and he advanced very quickly up the ranks, w- w- went to the position of colonel. He was actually, um, I'm probably going to say this wrong, I've got help here. He was a commander of a base, yeah, base uh, or a, a, not, a wing a, a wing commander. Uh, so he traveled really quickly. Well, it turns out that there was this uh, activist, and I can say this guy's name, name was Mikey Weinstein, uh, and he is well known. You can Google him, and he has been very active in trying to strip every vestige of, of God out of the military, and he is a particular thorn uh, in, the, in the side of the Air Force and, and uh, uh, has really connected, and uh, they're terrified of him. So every time he comes up, well, he's the one who called out, uh, this man's name was Mark, uh, he's the one who called out Mark and got him in trouble, and his career just stalled. He is still in the Air Force, or at least the last time we spoke a year or so ago. Um, he was still in the Air Force, uh, but his career kind of stalled. And I mean, he, this guy was really going places, but he refused to compromise. And when we talked about it last, I just told him, and he knew how proud Jesus was of him, and and um, um, he just understood that his orders come from a much higher plateau. So that's who I was talking about, Ray. And he's still in, still active duty. I don't know for how much longer, but he was a shining star. Let me let me add another quick story. I don't want to give this man's name because I don't have permission. Uh, but we have a man from our church who was uh, just transferred to a distant land. Uh, and he was telling people about Jesus. And he got involved uh, in Facebook sharing Jesus and talking about homosexuality being sin and those kind of things. Now, he wasn't on a crusade. He was just when, when, when people that he knew in his Facebook community, however that works, and I don't know how it works, but uh, he, he was telling them that, that, well, the Bible says homosexuality is sin and people live like this, won't inherit the kingdom of God. And then he would share Jesus with them. And he got in real trouble with it. So he is uh, actually still kind of in trouble. Um, God knows his name. Everybody out there can pray for him. Uh, but his career is now pretty well stalled because of all this. And we're just trusting the Lord is going to show off for him. But he took a very, very vocal stand. Um, and uh, when when they brought him before whoever it is they bring him uh, in front of, he just said, look, I, I exercise the freedom to share my, my my Christian faith with people, and and I know I have the right to do that, and I'm not going to change. And so um, there's a butting of the heads there, and we're going to see uh, who's going to win. So thanks, Ray. appreciate the question. Here is a question from our email inbox from Scott. 
and he says, is the reference to even those that pierced him in Revelation 1, 7, a reference to the Jews in general. Um, Revelation 1, 7 uh, says, look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. And then this, this interesting phrase you asked, but even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Not a woman. It says amen at the end of verse 7. So the idea here, and this is prophetic at the beginning of the book for chapter 19, when every eye is going to see him. Now that, of course, refers to the people who are on the earth. But this phrase here, it says, even those who pierced him, that phrase is interesting because we don't know for sure what that means. Those who died and were in or are in torment, um, well, they've already seen Jesus because he went down to the center of the earth and proclaimed victory. So they've already seen him. Um, I don't know whether this is a supernatural event where even the dead for an, an instant are going to see him in Revelation chapter 19. Uh, but but even those who pierced him, uh, it, it refers to he died for the sins of the world, so it is the sinners in the world who pierced him. Uh, the Jews certainly handed him over to the Romans. The Romans literally pierced him. They nailed him to the cross. Um, but it says that, that uh, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. So um, that's one of those mysteries, Scott, that we really don't know uh, how that's going to play. All we know is that everybody's going to stand before him without excuse. And when they stand before him without excuse, um, they're accountable. They are accountable. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. We've got uh, Jimmy on line one. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, sir. Um, I was going to tell you, you had an awesome message this past Sunday. I was oh, there. Oh, thank you. But, you know, I like that verse where it says, where, where Paul says, I don't care what you think about me or any, any uh, government uh, court or whatever. And I don't even trust myself. So, <laughs> so, and that's good for you to use. But anyway, um, in, in, in Isaiah 96, 9, 6, it says, when Jesus says the government will be upon his shoulders. So does that mean that? Well, I know, I, I kind of know what that means. I mean, I know the Roman Empire and, and Herod and them were scared of him. And... Uh, that, uh, that they're going to try to attack him and stop him from what he's doing. So the government is upon his shoulders. But that still applies today, correct? Yeah, Jimmy, it, it does apply. But, but th- that's a very Jewish way, a poetic way of saying the shoulders were considered in the ancient world sort of the place of burden carrying. And that's just Isaiah the prophet saying that this is the man who is going to come and he will carry the government, the weight of the world will literally be on his shoulders. So that is just a reference to Jesus eventually ruling and reigning um, on this earth where he will be in complete charge. We know that's going to occur during the millennium. Uh, And when that happens, um, he is the government, so the government will be on his shoulders. That's the reference there. In the world that we live in, God is sovereign and he is in charge of all things, uh, but but he's not controlling the governments of the world now. 
Um, he's, he's in heaven. He's in this age of grace waiting for the last Gentile to get saved. Uh, so, so it may look like he's not in control now, but it's his sovereignty working all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. But one day, Jimmy, and, and, and we believe it's one day very soon, he is going to assert himself and uh, the government will be on his shoulders. That just means we're carrying it. Now, we need to know that right now, especially as we're faced with a government that's gone absolutely crazy and, and we haven't even seen the new administration come in yet. Um, the government will be on Jesus' shoulders and when he comes and establishes his kingdom, there's not going to be any more of this nonsense, none at all. Thank you, Jimmy. Hey, uh, Jimmy, one thing I'd like to say about that, you know, the, the, the uh, appreciate your comments on Sunday's message. Um, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, where we were studying on Sunday, um, uh, w- when Paul says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Remember the, the Corinthians, there was a lot of opposition to him and there was a lot of criticism. And uh, some would say, well, Paul's not really the, the guy who should be telling us what to do. Um, Paul says, I, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. And then he says this, and this is the reason I really wanted to, to I was excited about doing this message on Sunday. He says, indeed, I don't even judge myself. He goes on to say that his conscience is clear, but that doesn't make him innocent or that doesn't make him right. And what I wanted our church here to really understand, and now I'm, you've given me, Jimmy, the opportunity to share with the radio audience, is, you know, we, we're so hard on ourselves. We, we put so much pressure on ourselves to be right. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is, look, I don't judge myself. I'm going to let the Lord judge me when, when, when we're at the end. He'll give me my rewards. He'll give me my crowns. Um, and I'll find out whether I, what I did was right or wrong. And if you do what is wrong, but you do it with the right heart, God's going to kind of protect you. And we can let the pressure. I told the church on Sunday that that if they'd really understand that, it would take all the take all the pressure off of us, the pressure that we put on ourselves for trying to do right. You know, we get so frustrated if we make a mistake or if we fall back into sin or if we do something that turns out not to be right. We put pressure on ourselves when we take a step of faith. Boy, this better be right. When in fact, the only thing that has to be right is our heart. And the whole point of the message on Sunday was Jesus is crazy about you. He loves you. If your heart is right with God, you can't be wrong. Even if you make the wrong decision, God will sort of work all things together and make it right. Just we have the response to make our heart right. If we would give ourselves a break, not compromise with sin, that's not the kind of break I'm talking about. But instead of this pressure to perform, the pressure to be right, and Jesus would carry all of those burdens for us as well. What a relief this would be for husbands and fathers who are the, the heads of their household. Um, you know, if you're with Jesus, if your heart is right with Jesus, your family is going to be covered, just as you will be covered. And I think that is a wonderful passage of Scripture. Here is an anonymous question that just came in into our email inbox. Uh, he or she says, does it mean that I'm not truly saved if I don't serve at my church or if I am inconsistent in doing so? Anonymous, it doesn't mean that at all. Um, I think I would 
twist the question a little bit, I would say, if you are truly saved, why wouldn't you be serving in your church? If it's spiritual laziness, um, maybe you just all you care about is getting to heaven. Those are dangerous places to be. But no, it does not mean that you're not saved if you're not serving at your church or if you're serving inconsistently. Now, having said that, you're going to stand before Jesus one day and he's going to say, let's see how you did. And how are you going to respond? If Jesus were to look at you and say, well, you know I want you to serve. I gave you gifts so that you could serve. Why aren't you doing it? What would you say to him? When he holds those palms out in front of you and there's nail-scarred hands and you see the brutal beating that he took, how would you explain that you were too lazy to serve? This is something I'll never understand. God gives us gifts. He wants us to use those gifts for the benefit of others. And the Christian who doesn't serve is a Christian who's first of all getting ripped off. The enemy's got him, uh, him or her. In a, in a position where they're ripped off. Um, um, but but we're, we're deceived. Our hearts grow hard. We're selfish. We're focused on what we want instead of what God wants. It's a, it's a really, really dangerous place for us to be. So it doesn't mean you're not saved. It means that you ought to be serving. I hope that makes sense to you. Let's go to line one and talk with Jeff from San Antonio. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Happy New Year. Oh, and you too, Jeff. Happy New Year. Good to hear from you. Yeah, good to hear your voice, man. Last month for me was a doozy. Uh, my team lead uh, tested positive for COVID. He got pneumonia, oh. was in the hospital for eight days, and I had to pick up his slack, and I was the 80-hour weeks for the whole month through Christmas. So my goodness, just, is he, uh, is, did, he, did he recover? He did praise God, and uh, you know that's opened up a world of conversation for us because he's he comes from a very devout, well, you know, traditional Catholic family, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm telling him just be with Jesus, just forget about the traditions, <laughs> you know, just be with Jesus, okay. But I just want you to know I've caught you and, and, and Mama Paula on a few occasions, and it's always a breath of a spiritual breath of fresh spirit. You know, when I get to hear you guys, I just love you all so much. Thank and, you, Jeff. Um, yep. So I, I just wanted to ask you, you were talking about, uh, you you refer to it as the trophy generation. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I haven't heard you um, expound on that before. And um, I'm really, uh, you know, we're still in the, the mausoleum church uh, where, you know, I, I hate to say anything bad about it, but there's nothing good to say about it other than that they're supporting the work that we do and they're not involved in it at all. But mm-hmm. God is telling us, you know, something's going to happen this year. I don't know what that looks like, but we're trusting and just following him. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I'm still really, really brokenhearted over uh, uh, Dr. Zacharias. I don't know. Huh. Um, you know, there's just been so many, you know, little moral failures of people that haven't, you know, don't have the kind of, uh, you know, the attention that he did or, or, or the level of expertise that he had, but I, I still can't free myself sometimes from, from the sadness of, 
of dealing with that. And, yeah. and you're right. I mean, even some of the musicians, like, I don't know if you remember the songs of Ray Bolts. And he had some powerful, yeah. powerful songs. And and when he decided that, you know, after he had four children and wanted to come out of the closet, you know, uh, it just made me almost it made my stomach turn to even listen to his songs anymore. And, yeah, um, yeah I kind of I, I still struggle with that, Pastor Ron. So I'll let you have at it. And uh, a big hug and love to you and Paula. Hi, Mama Paula. Miss you and <laughs> God bless you. Talk to you again soon. I'm back to Thank normal you, Jeff. Thank, Thank you. Pastor. God bless. Glad, glad everything worked out with your team leader. Um, Jeff, I was talking about participation trophies. Um, you know, when when uh, we live in a, in a world now where kids that compete in sports or at school, everybody gets a trophy or everybody gets a ribbon. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you win or lose. And that's certainly not a biblical approach to the world that we live in. The world that we live in is tough. And not only is it tough, but... But, um, you know, kids need to learn to compete. Kids need to learn the truth that there are winners and losers. We, we uh, were invited to a, a basketball, uh, church basketball league that uh, some of our kids were playing in to just go see a game. And they had rules, uh, Jeff, that, that, that said, you know, you can't play defense. They don't keep score. Um, you know, just want everybody to feel good about themselves. Uh, and that's not teaching them basketball. It's certainly not teaching them life skills. So it's it's we have a participation trophy generation means a generation is entitled, and they're going to go find out that nobody cares when they go to work that that uh, things are going well or not going well in their lives. They've got a job. They got to show up and they got to do the job that people are depending on them. And uh, it's just a really tough generation. So that's that's what we've been doing with. Let me make one more comment. I've got a call holding Jeff, so I'll make this one quick. Um, I really and truly get how you feel, uh, the sadness over um, uh, Ravi and, and uh, the, the people that he has let down, the, the family members who, who are devastated, the, the co-workers, um, men and women who really loved God and believed in everything that RZIM was doing. Uh, and now all of those people, their lives are shattered. Uh, when we see public Christians um, who fall, um, our hearts get broken, and it causes immense pain. And, uh, you know, Ravi, I am certain, is a believer, uh, and he is finding out there are consequences to the choices that he made, and it is sad. It is sad. Let's go to line two and talk with Scott from Shirt. Scott, long time no here. Good to hear from you. Hey, praise the Lord. Happy New Year, brother. Thank you, Scott. I, uh, just this morning, you, I, I wasn't going to call in, but uh, just this morning uh, I've been studying in Psalms, and, and I was uh, going back through the story of David, and I was really convicted. And I think it falls in with what you guys were just discussing with Robbie and and with this uh, trophy generation, what have you. And uh, where I was being convicted was uh, when David, I mean, he committed adultery, and he committed murder, and mm-hmm. and he went on about life, you know. But Nathan confronted him. And we all need a Nathan in our life, and I think sometimes we need to be that Nathan. And I'm looking back, and I was convicted because there's there's times in my life where I should have stepped up and been that Nathan. And I just wanted your comments on that. And I think it kind of falls in with 
with how our culture just kind of, you know, well, everybody's got to get a trophy and you can't say anything wrong or bad or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, I'm, I'm just going to listen to you on the air, brother. God bless Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Happy New Year again. You too. And love you guys. Good, good to hear from you. We know people are okay when they call back if they haven't been on the air for a while. Um, you, you know, um, you're, you're right. We all need a Nathan, but I think it is more appropriate that we become Nathans, not declaring ourselves prophet, but prophets of God. But, but we need to be men and women who, especially when we're dealing with people that we say we love, people that we care about, people in families, people in church, uh, if we see them in sin, We've got to tell them it's not a confrontation, it's not a war, just, hey, bro, that's not what a Christian can do. Please don't talk like that or, or, or don't talk about somebody like that. We, we need to take that step of faith uh, if, if we're going to be used by God. We, we can't let people we care about just get away with the sin. Now, discipline is very difficult. In our church culture, somebody um, is is living with a somebody they're not married to, and we confront them. It's so easy for them, rather than than to, to humble themselves, they just go find another church. There's churches on every corner, and most churches have nothing to do with that kind of discipline. But you're right, Scott. We need, especially when it's people that we care about, we need to be Nathans. Now, the one thing that you said that I'll disagree with. David just went on with his life. He didn't just go on with his life. There were enormous consequences to his sin. Just like with Ravi, we were talking about there are enormous consequences to his sin, consequences that he never could have imagined while he was here. David, if you read uh, Psalm 51 uh, and some other psalms that were going on during this time, uh, he was so twisted inside. Um, he, he said, my, my, my bones waxed heavily. They, 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 there was no peace. Um, constantly, night and day, the Spirit of God was heavy upon him because of his sin. So there was no peace. For the year or so that he tried to hide it, there was just no peace at all. And then if you read Psalm 51, um, he, he gets to that place where finally, after Nathan has confronted him, he says, look, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Renew within me a right spirit. And this was when he was coming out of the, that, that year of trying to cover it up. Nobody gets away with anything, Scott. And David certainly didn't get away with anything. Not only that, but for the rest of his life, uh, his family, uh, his sons, uh, daughters, um, lived in, under terrible conditions uh, simply because that's the effect that sin has. And it is all the more brutal when, in fact, a leader falls. And David, too much is given, much more is required. Jesus said David was an example of that. Moses was an example of that. And his sin wasn't nearly as grievous as David's was. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Good to hear your phone calls. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. This has been The Word to Stand On for Life. Um, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630. Lord willing, The Word. We'll see you then. Have a wonderful evening in Christ. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.